I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who holds space for any earthling as they reunite body and soul in their planetary experience. I'm a bridge for relationships between all species so that the heart bond becomes stronger, deeper, and more loving. I serve in the roles of animal communicator, medium, and medical intuitive, and I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support all earthlings in their recovery from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. I'm going to deviate from the announced subject a couple of weeks ago of a message from Animal Ambassador Kestrel today because something else has come forward with a bit more insistence and Kestrel has graciously agreed to step aside or rather lift off and soar towards another day of working with us. I also want to keep an eye on what seems to be important for listeners of this podcast to hear. So far, the podcasts that are the most often downloaded are the ones that have to do with human experience, and interestingly enough, our processing of said human experience. So the ones like Feeling Emotional and the 4Fs Plus One are among the ones that all y'all keep downloading. So let's give you more of that. (laughs) The insistence that I was feeling had to do with the relevance of the topic of pronouns, as well as keeping true to the intention of this podcast and allowing the animals to lead. In doing so, we can lead by following their lead, which may sound like a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, a phrase that was coined by Winston Churchill back in 1939 when he was talking about the interests of Russia. Lead by following is a term that's also used in the Japanese martial art of Aikido, which translated means the way of unifying with life energy or the way of harmonious spirit. You might recognize one of the characters in the kanji script of Aikido, that being ki or life force energy, as in rei ki. The cool thing about Aikido is that it is a defensive technique used to diffuse an attack by harmonizing first with the energy coming towards the attack e by the attacker. So imagine if someone is coming towards you with their arm raised in an attack with or without a weapon. The weapon is an extension of the energy, of course, and the intention behind the action is the thought or the emotion causing the intention to act and then the choice or maybe the reaction (laughs) to attack. You wouldn't likely grab the knife or other weapon, right, to defend yourself. You would go for the power behind that weapon, which is the arm itself. In Aikido, then, you might grab the wrist or the arm, and instead of shoving it away, which meets energy with energy and it kind of creates an impasse, you would turn in towards the attacker and allow that arm's energy to flow through you as you bring your body closer to the attacker. Their weapon then becomes your weapon because you're using their energy against them by first harmonizing and leaning into their intention, and then by guiding their energy against them and towards your uses. So in this way, it becomes a dance move where you protect your body by curling in towards theirs and then transfer the lead of their action to you 
thus the lead by following. You're following their intention and working purely with their energy versus working against it. The other part of the insistence about addressing animal pronouns today was that my interest has been piqued lately for whatever reason, both about my personal use of pronouns and choices thereof, as well as, and probably naturally so, given my greater identity as a human, capital H, how that resonates with other earthlings on the planet. That is of utmost importance to me. I usually don't know why these things float up into my line of vision, and I also don't really care about finding out why. All I really care about is how it feels to me and my path now, because those are the things that matter most to me in this moment. As we move through what the animals have to say, particularly about gender or gender identity, their perspective, keep in mind, is based mostly on procreation, is my sense as far as gender goes. Meaning, what they do, even as far as switching or projecting gender identity, is because of procreation in the form of reduced competition for mating and better access to territory. In other words, it feels like it's about survival of their species. If the males have less competition for females, for instance, by appearing to be females, they also might avoid attacks by older males who are competing for the same females within a species group. Conversely, they might use this more female-like appearance to surprise attack these older males, thereby ridding their mating pool of one less adversary. The species plural to which one of the articles in the podcast notes refers to is songbird, and there was a study, because of course there would be, in which some young male songbirds that were painted to look like older males, they found that the painted birds actually gained territory more quickly than those with female-like plumage. So the phenomenon that we're talking about is called delayed plumage maturation, wherein male songbirds delay the growing of their usually more colored feathers, all in an effort to gain a procreative advantage over another male. In itself, it's kind of crazy to think about, right? To be able to delay or halt for a season or a reason your genetic encoding so that what shows on the outside hides your true gender and or gives the false impression that you are a gender other than the one you actually are. Again, for other animal species, these are done for procreation purposes in order to have the best possible advantage, wherein your genes then have the highest success rate in being passed along to the next generation. Which, if we pull on that thread, makes it an individual decision of a single member of a type of songbird. And perhaps we in human land might also say, well who says this songbird gets to choose themselves as the goddess's supposed gift to the rest of the species of songbird. I can sense a bit of pushback from a contrast in human-centric thinking where we might hold judgment about their choices, right? And then again, in checking in with the collective of songbird, I get kind of a shrug of feathered shoulders as if to say, Who cares when the plumage matures? Who cares who's doing this and who's not? What difference does it make? (laughs) 
There's maybe another thread of human-centric judgment that I feel which might say, well, if every male songbird chose this every season, there wouldn't be enough identified as male songbird males to procreate with the female songbirds, and wouldn't that create a problem? Again, there's kind of a shrug of feathered shoulders, and this time, a bit of a rolled eye emoji that says, we just don't worry about those things. <laughs> because each of us always holds the rest of us in mind when making our choices. We trust that the balance and partnership will be maintained, and not only that, but enhanced and empowered as well. I might note that you may have felt a bit of constriction that came in when the human-centric structures were imposed. I know I did, or more accurately, my body did. Interestingly, there are other species who display what is labeled as transgender identity. Snakes, lizards, beetles, and fish, to name a few, exhibit what, again, science has labeled transgender behaviors in which males imitate females to gain advantages. I disagree with the label of transgender as applied to behaviors. To me, it's more similar to individuals who dress up in drag, maybe on the regular, and behave as if they were a different gender, whereas transgender is a whole and complete identity that is different than the gender in which one was born. And maybe a cisgender individual wants to perform in drag every once in a while, or a gay individual wants to do the same, or either one of them perhaps to cross-dress in a different gender's clothing, simply because of how that makes them feel. There's one European bird of prey, the marsh harrier, in which 40% of adult males look and act like females. This species is highly territorial, and female-like males can avoid maintaining their own territories while sneaking into another male's territories to mate with the resident females. Another species of bird, the ruff, R-U-F-F, a European shorebird, is the only other bird species known to have permanent female mimics. Male ruffs don't attract females by guarding territories. Instead, they gather to display in communal areas known as leks, L-E-K-S. Females who visit the lek can choose potential mates from among displaying males. As a result, most male ruffs have evolved elaborate plumage to show off, except for a few which look exactly like the much drabber females. All of these species do this cross-dressing, as we might think of it, for the purposes of procreation versus our human purposes of doing it for entertainment, either personal or public, when we exhibit behaviors and inhabit behaviors things that are opposite our own gender identity. We display plumage in accordance with what we like and how we feel and what we enjoy doing that has nothing to do with making a human baby. Yet it is our own species who are so fearful and threatened by this display of other by another that we have a horrendous history of violence against those who are merely different. How did we get to be so anxious about another individual or group of individuals who are other? I think that tells us something about where our own identity rests versus, say, Songbird. Because they are so firmly rooted in we and ours, the collective, 
that leaves every individual free to express who they are individually. You may be thinking, wait, what? You mean it's possible to have both individual expression and identity of gender because our species' evolution with that has nothing to do with procreation. We haven't even gotten to the animals who can actually change their own gender and species who have more than two gender. Clownfish, northern cardinals, frogs, green sea turtles, and snails are among 11 different species who can change their gender. And some species are born hermaphrodite, meaning they have the reproductive organs of the binary category male and female. These are due to perhaps environmental issues such as climate change, where the unhatched egg was originally built with XY chromosomes, and during the incubation period, changes into XX chromosomes, so from male to female. It is interesting to note, I'm going to point out here, (laughs) that most of the examples of what researchers call deceptive sex signaling in animals are of males posing as females. The reverse, females that imitate males, is a much rarer phenomenon. The aggression typically associated with male behavior may to be blamed, as so stated by the article in the podcast notes. Male mimics do exist in some species, however. In hummingbirds, male mimicry by females, sounding like them, vocalizing like them, is more common than the reverse. And in hyenas, some females even develop male-like genitalia. Interestingly, in both these species, females guard territories and are aggressive toward other females. Talk about your freedom of individual expression, and yet we don't see the procreation or gender identity or expression police of any species going around and murdering or brutalizing or terrorizing or creating such an atmosphere of intimidation and fear within a species that they don't feel completely free to be themselves. To paraphrase John Lennon, imagine all the species living for today. It's important to note that sexual identity and sexual orientation are independent components of a human's sexual identity and actually develop independently of each other in utero as well. The equipment part of the reproductive organs develops first, with sexual orientation in the brain happening later. So, because they do not develop together means that they are not always congruent or in harmony with each other. Certainly, it's also possible that many of us go through stages on our life paths where we try on different sexual orientation, while others of us can attest that they have always felt attracted to one gender or the other, or both, or maybe neither. How is it that this independent severing, if you will, that we start out with became so tied to condemnation and fear of each other individually. One has to look no further than the history of human evolution, where we consistently and continually created an us versus them. Clearly, the fear in the past, present, and future of other is a projection of the fear that the us had of the them, regardless of who us and them actually are, because it was rooted and remains so rooted in the individual awareness and individual identity being primary. 
Our species is a herd animal, and so we gather in herds of similar groups. That's not to say that individuals aren't free to have individual friendships with the other or groups who are non-fearful of other groups. But to drill down even further, because we use the ending of phobia often when we're referencing these fears, such as transphobia, homophobia, etc., by definition, a phobia is an overwhelming and debilitating fear of an object, place, situation, feeling, or animal. Phobias are more pronounced than fears. They develop when a person has, get this, an exaggerated or unrealistic sense of danger about a situation or object. As our history of the past, our relevant presence, and dreaded future has indicated, the very essence of phobias is about sharing this exaggeration, and I would go further and say projecting this exaggeration into others. Because again, herd mentality literally occurs, which further threatens individual freedom. And underneath, we all know that. We all know that. The constriction that my body felt and that I referenced earlier when thinking about the human-centric judgment of songbirds' gender choices is what usually happens when I don't think or feel in human, capital A, animal experience, and I think or feel in human being experience. Big difference. The latter feels constrictive and the other expansive, which was also a part of my trying on for size, which pronouns I wanted to use for myself. The she, her, hers felt constrictive, and the she, we, ours felt expansive, although to be honest, the she, they also felt a degree or three more in alignment with the animals in general. It was almost as if I was excluding myself from being a member of the human species and thinking of my resonance with animals in general, albeit from my human experience and as an individual member awareness first. See, everybody does it. It's a subtle difference, and still, it's an indication of the indoctrination a being and human experience undergoes of putting their individual awareness or having their individual awareness or alignment pushed on them as primary and of the collective alignment as secondary. Because even the they separates as in us and them. I could see someone going with they, we, ours in the case of non-binary identity and human experience, and perhaps even further with the whatever, we, and ours (laughs) that the animals propose. Because the whatever frees all of us to be whatever in our sexual identification and sexual orientation. And as other species would chime in with, as long as you hold space for the security of each other individually, the we and ours happens partly of its own accord. Generation after generation must ensure that this is so for the intended evolution of human animal as it is for all other species. You must lead by following the lead of each other united in unfettered gender identity and gender sexual orientation. You are meant to be celebrated and not shamed or judged for your expression of self. Only in this way can you reach the we hours where we await. And at least that's how the animals see it.
Thanks for listening today. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. To schedule online, go to LizanneFlynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, X, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I encourage you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website, where I also post notices for upcoming events, the starting date of courses in the Animals Eye View Academy, and online psychic fairs. The episodes of this podcast are available on my YouTube channel, complete with subtitles. You'll find that link in my podcast footer, and be sure to subscribe. Tune in in two weeks' time where we might have a message for the next Animal Ambassador, and we might also visit the topic of angels, both from the human-centric perspective as well as from the angels themselves. Just like this week's podcast, I'm gracefully following the lead and allowing the subject to be switched upon me, and I thank you in advance for your understanding with that. This is the way of energy, of course, the only constant being change. This has been the Animal's Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time.